You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. Good afternoon. Welcome to Why Shamanism Now, a practical path to authenticity with your host, Christina Pratt. Director of the Last Mask Center for Shamanic Healing. She's talking about how shamanic skills can bring us to physical, emotional, mental, and spiritual well-being, especially when nothing else can. Now, here's your host, Christina Pratt. Now, this is your host, Christina Pratt, and I would like to call in the spirits here today. So I call out to our ancestors, to all of those who lived well and died well, and who bring to us a legacy of all that is good and true and beautiful in our ancestral lines. And through these ancestors, I call out to those not human being ancestors, reaching all the way back to the time in the dreaming where there were no humans and the, the life on the planet, the plant life and the animal life on the planet dreamt of our ancestors. So I call out to those ancestors, the ancestors of the plant world to be with us here today. And I reach back even further through the plant ancestors all the way back through the dreaming to the elemental ancestors, the earth and the air and the fire and the water. And I call out to these ancestors as well to be with us here today that we might reach all the way back to the beginning, the beginning of life as it came out of the great mystery, out of the great void in the great dreaming. I reach all the way back through all of these ancestors who began from that first dream to all of these dreamers and ask them to be with us here today that we might open our deepest awareness, the awareness we're not usually even aware of, that we might open into that ancient ancestry and allow our knowing to come through the line of the ancestors through the living, that we might open the way for the descendants to know what we struggle so much to remember. So I ask the ancestors, through the human ancestors to the not-human ancestors, through to the elemental ancestors, all the way back to the beginning of time, as we understand it, to be with us here today that we might know what we must know to open the way for those who are coming. And so let us reach down through our bodies, down to the earth, through our feet, into all the layers of the earth, to the very center of the earth, and call out to the earth to be with us here today and let us draw up the energy of the earth for renewal and restoration and replenishment and send down our gratitude for home, for life, for the beauty of this day, the incredible wonder and mystery that is life and give thanks for the miracle and to understand, to not become jaded and tired and patterned and habitual, but to understand for this moment as we connect into the earth, the profound and un, unimaginable miracle of life. And to know that we possess within ourselves a piece of that great miracle, just a piece, but nonetheless a piece. And to feel that miracle, a miracle, let it infuse our bodies and send our gratitude down into the earth for life. We give thanks for connection and interconnection for home, hearth, belonging. And we give thanks to the earth. 
And with our gratitude extended down to the earth, let us draw the energy of the earth up, reaching up into the sky realms, all the way to the highest power of the universe, and by whatever name you know that power, to call that power down into your head and into your heart, into your body, into your day, into our proceedings here today. So we call out to the energy above to bring into our lives blessing, generosity, benevolence, and to bring into our lives protection, inspiration, and illumination. May we find those mentors in our lives and may we receive the help from those champions that we might go forward in our lives and do what we have come into this life to do. So with the earth below and the sky above coming to meet each other in that great union within our own bodies and the ancestors gathered round, let us call out to the energy of the heart. Let us call out to the profound magic of the spirit of the human heart. And let the heart open up to draw up the great fiery passions of our lower chakras and the clarity and crystal uh, expression that's coming down from the higher chakras and draw those energies into the heart that they might dance and merge in our heart just as the elemental energies danced and merged in the dream and gave a birth to life. Let these energies dance in your own heart and give birth to your own soul's purpose. Let us come to know in this day why we are here and find the courage in our hearts to do it, to give that gift in some way to the world. And may I encourage you to do it now while you're young enough to enjoy the fruits of those labors. So with the spirits gathered round, I ask that what needs to be said will be said here today and what needs to be heard can be heard and that all of these proceedings go forward in a way that is good for all living things. So I give great thanks to those of you that make this show possible, those of you that are um, able and willing to donate to the show, those of you who send in good questions and great ideas for shows, and those of you who share the shows with others, who link to the show on your websites and do all of the many things, many, many things that are going on today that are the ways in which we communicate. I give thanks to all of you for helping the show to grow strong and to be of value and meaning in the world. I give a special thanks to Jan and to Bill and Renata and those who have donated financially to the show. If this show is meaningful to you in any way, if it moves you in the heart, in joy or irritation, it does not matter. If you have been moved in the heart, consider allowing that movement in the heart to be expressed in action in some way to support the show. For those of you who would like to donate to the show, you can go to whyshamanismnow.com, hit the support button, and offer any amount, large or small, it is all um, deeply, deeply appreciated, and it all goes directly to keeping the show on the air. And um, I would also like to give thanks to our guest today, to Michael Dunning. Welcome, Michael. Uh-oh, I don't hear Michael. Tina? Well, there you are. <laughs> Welcome. I'm, I'm here. I, I am back from Scotland. I, I, I... <laughs> <laughs> I'm back in the good old USA, and uh, it's it's wonderful to be here. Thank you for inviting me. Thank you very much. So, for those of you that don't know, uh, Michael, obviously, as you can hear, was born in Scotland and immigrated to the U.S. in 2003. He offers workshops in U shamanism and practices and teaches biodynamic cranial as a biodynamic cranial sacral therapist. He's also a musician and and performs uh, throughout the world. Um, Michael wrote about his experiences with the yew tree in a recently published book. It's 
I don't know, so recent now. It's been out for a while anyway, called Soul Companions by Karen Sawyer. And in an article that was published um, a couple issues back in Sacred Hoop Magazine, um, issue number 63. And you can purchase Soul Companions at www.powells.com. It's a local bookstore here in Portland. Um, And we also have a podcast with Michael from June in 2010. Uh, where he talked about his initiatory experience with the yew tree. And for those of you that have not heard that episode, I suggest as soon as the show's over today, you go listen to it. We're not going to go back over that story, but it is an absolutely amazing story of shamanic initiation and, as we talked about last week, picking up your medicine. What does it mean to go through the arc of this archetypal process to receive those energies as poison and to be transformed by them and ultimately be able to transform them into medicine for the people? So this is um, uh, timely. So you can contact Michael at youshamanism.com or sacredyouinstitute.com. And I also want to thank the Society of Shamanic Practitioners. I knew I was forgetting something because this is a show sponsored by the SSP. Um, and they sponsor um, an, an interview a month. And so if you would like to find the Society of Shamanic Practitioners and support them, they are at shamansociety.org. We are live today and you are welcome to call in. The number, oh, I think the number is 512 772 1938. Ken will tell me if that's wrong. And you can Skype from the co-creatornetwork.com site or just email me at Christina at lastmaskcenter.org. And if you want to know about upcoming classes, of which there are many at Last Mask Center, you can go to the website lastmaskcenter.org. So without further ado, Michael, we are going to talk here today about um, health and the U tree and a whole bunch of things. Um, but this is a very, very important idea that I want to make sure we don't get lost as we're talking here today. But this idea or reality, perhaps, I think it's a little bit bigger than idea, but this understanding of health as an energy that is innate to us and that it exists prior to ideas, prior to um, concepts about health and wellness, but that health itself is um, – a much is an innate and essential energy. So let's not leave that part out. So normally at this point, I would ask you as the guest to talk about the truly pivotal moments. But if we talk about all those moments again, we won't get back to your healing practices (laughs) (laughs) because it's such a great story. So for those of you who haven't heard that, go read one of the articles or read his website or listen to the podcast because it's a great, great yarn. But we're going to put that in a nutshell and go forward. So why don't you start by introducing the yew tree and the importance of the yew tree um, in not only shaping your own spiritual landscape but the spiritual landscape of earliest ancient humans. Yes, thanks, Christina. Yes, it's, a, it's, a, it's an incredible um, sentient being. Um, they exist in, uh, mostly now they exist in, in, in the UK, um, although they exist elsewhere, but the, the greatest um, living yews now are there. And the, the, the yew is um, an extraordinary tree, a potentially immortal being. Um, the tree that I was led to is... Um, upwards at least of 2,000 years old. And the more work I've been doing with it, uh, the older I, I feel that it is. 
and it's a female tree. They're, they're sex, the trees, they can either be male or female, but there's evidence to suggest that they can actually change their sexes too. So there is a, they're a very incre- incredibly interesting and um, amazing um, being who's able to do some incredible things that would have been seen thousands of years ago by the people who lived close to the trees and venerated them. Um, but we can look in, in, the, um, um, in the old German, old high German and the old Irish, and we see words that um, relate to the yew tree and the words for the yew tree. And most of these words um, really mean eternity. So I think that's a big piece in the U is that it's always been seen as this eternal tree, and even the language which was used to describe the tree implied eternity. And I think that's a, a part that um, is really important to put down here just now, um, as it was seen as this the closest um, thing to a sort of sentient gesture of what could be regarded as eternal, and would have been seen um, by generations, and generations, and generations of people surviving and surviving a lot of. Uh, different um, onslaughts, but it was able to be there for a long time. The trees are potentially eternal. And actually, there's um, certain um, people who've been writing about the tree very, very well. One of his, the names of uh, these people is Fred, Fred Hageneder, who's written a wonderful book about the yew tree. And, and he mentions that the word taxis, um, which is a word for the yew, and we have this word taxis baccata, which of course comes from the, the Romans. But taxis could be related to the ver- verb to touch, and he proposes this idea that the you is really what it's talking about there is to be touched or to touch eternity. And that ties in very deeply with my direct experience where, and essentially, I mean, when, when I read that, it really rang a lot of bells for me. And I thought, yes, that's exactly what it is, is to be touched by eternity or to touch eternity. And um, I think a whole series of practices were de- derived around that um, sense. And um, that ties in also with the, with the concept of health that you brought in at the beginning is health, is health with a capital H as being something that is essentially eternal, that it cannot actually be increased or decreased. It is something that is just there. Um, and um, really, it's, it's, health could be equated with spirit, really, um, with a capital S. So you've, you have this health and spirit, which really is an eternal um, something that comes to us and is divinely given to us. So those two things, the eternity of the yew tree and its the, the, the notion of eternity um, and uh, the idea of health are very closely connected to, to practices that are embodied through my time spending all that time at the U and you know, over the years as I've been developing these practices and working with them and, and to some extent teaching them too. Um, so I'm musing here because I'm, I'm wondering about how um, humanity's current manifestation would be different if we'd simply stuck with being touched by and touching eternity and feeling, um, you know, this a sense of our innate health resonating in that, and then we didn't start to anthropomorphize anything. <laughs> exactly. And then start making up these damn gods and goddesses that started, you know, fighting and raping and carrying on and, and really not being very good teachers. It's a, it's a wonderful point. There's, there's a couple of things in there that are really, I think, are really interesting. One of them is the anthropomorphizing of, of these gods, because when we look at the, the god Heimdall of the Norse um, traditions, who's the, the guardian of the, of the Rainbow Bridge, and uh, he's actually, the actually name means world tree. Um, Heimdall is, is, actually means world tree. 
So we have here this, this notion of, of the world tree that has become anthropomorphized. And when we look at the Voluspa, um, the 13th century Icelandic poem, we see that, that Heimdall is the father of humanity. And, and he's born himself of nine yew roots, nine mothers who are also sisters, who are yew trees or yew roots. So you've got this fascinating idea of the world tree born out of uh, these other yew trees, other other yew roots who are feminine. And this idea of, of, of Heimdall as being the father of humanity. And I think for me that ties in very, very much with the, 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 the eternal qualities that are within us. And I, I like to talk about that as the, the, the axis, the, the central axis, the actual real midline of the body, which is really connected to Yggdrasil and the cosmic axis, is that that cosmic axis is essentially eternal. And, and we know that the first midline that arises in the development of a human being is a mystery. It suddenly appears as a quiver in, in, in undifferentiated protoplasm. Nobody knows how it happens. And the cellular electromagnetic world organizes around it. So you and I just now, and everybody listening, their midline is really not their own midline. It's an eternal quality, divinely given, that we embody around. And and so there's a kind of universality about it and an eternal quality in the middle, to the midline. So ultimately the midline cannot become diseased. It's part of that divine health. And we organize ourselves around it. So there's a quality of that midline that comes from the beyond. It's not, it doesn't belong to you. It doesn't belong to me. It's something that comes from elsewhere. Um, and I think that there links to the, to, to the notion of where health really belongs. It belongs to a domain outside of the body, essentially. We talk about the wisdom that is in the body, but really the wisdom, the real wisdom, is outside of the body. It's, it's given to us as a gift, just as our consciousness is given to us. And I think that that's a really big part of, of my work. And, um, you know, interestingly... Um, it drew me into the, the biodynamic cranial sacral field, which is very much about that. And it was very exciting for me to hear uh, another way of talking about these things um, through something which, which is much more contemporary, and yet really isn't, because it goes back through an oral tradition of 100 years. So, so it was exciting for me to see these ideas reflected back at me in, in, a, in a very uh, perceptual language, which was very exciting. So, so there's direct perceptual perception of these kinds of things existing and health existing outside of the body and something that, that comes to us from outside. Now, I know I know that's a lot to kind of to, to kind of go over, but it was certainly um, for me has opened up my understanding and my my explorations of of some of the shamanic symbols and the shamanic ideas and the shamanic realities in terms of initiation and things like that. And looking at some of these things a little bit more embryonically which has been a very interesting process to me, and seeing that a lot of our health, the, the, the very core of our health, exists outside of not only the genetic field, but outside of our central nervous system, or prior to these things. So there's something way, way back as we, are, as we, are, um, as we incarnate and we begin to develop within a, a field of fluid. Um, we're already sentient, we're already behaving, we're already a being before we have a nervous system and before our genes are expressed. And I love the way you began the show talking about going back into this elemental um, ancestral lineage and going back and back before there were humans because my sense is, and really ties in well with what you were saying, is that the um, that sort of organism that, that, that brings us into being, as a, in a sense, is, is like a sort of elemental organism, I call it, the elemental organism. It's a part of us, but it's more a part of the natural world. 
Mm-hmm. And that's the, that's the part that, in a sense, couples to us, but it's, it's really, that's the part that, that, that brings the health to us. And it's very, very shamanic. It's a doorway. It's a, it's a, it's a place that usually is veiled from us, and usually we don't pay enough attention to, even shamanically, I believe. And I think it's, it's, a, it's an enormous, um, refined practice to begin to, to begin to work with that and respect that, that part of us which, which inhabits nature. Um, mm-hmm. and, and delivers our health to us and, and brings us into, really gives us the possibility of becoming individual. And yet it's a part of us, and it's also eternal. So there's a lot in that to me that is, is a, these are some of the things that I'm, that I'm really, really um, interested in. And, um, really, um, but it has to be more than a piece of knowledge or an idea. It has to be, these things have to be perceived. And I think that is really where my initiation comes in, because I really felt that those things were, were, were directly... I directly perceived these things and then spent the rest of the time, the last 17 years, trying to figure out what it was all about. Mm -hmm. Well, one of the things I've said uh, in moments of frustration listening to people intellectualize initiation is that, you know, the the message in the initiation is the the same as the experience. The experience is the same as, I mean, you, you have it, you are it, you experience it, and then you spend the next 17 years trying to figure it out. Exactly. It's not like it's an intellectual process. Not at all. And I think, as you and I both know, and I think you know, most, most of them, or if not all of the listeners will know, I mean, you know, we have these kinds of peak experiences, but we must learn from them. I mean, we, must, mm-hmm. we must stabilize ourselves around them. They're a great gift. And um, I mean, they don't come maybe that, that often. Um, for some people, they come more. And for some people like me, they were extended for a long, long, long period of time. Um, but um, we must learn from them and stabilize ourselves around them. It's not enough just to have a peak experience and then to, 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 to um, begin to, to try and um, work from that. You must spend time stabilizing it and, and working with it. My, my students are getting really annoyed with me lately because I have this new thing I call so what shamanism. <laughs> <laughs> I like well, they go, like, and so what? You know, what are you going to do with that? Exactly. The fact that you had that does not mean anything if you cannot translate that somehow into something that either is is evolving you or something, you know, anyway. <laughs> Before we get too carried away, though, I want to circle back around a little bit to, to have you just give the listeners a, a little nutshell about cranial sacral therapy for those people that may not have ever experienced that because we're probably going to go back and forth referring to that, and I'd like them to have a little, um, just a little understanding of what that is. I mean, yeah, very briefly, I mean, the, the, the cranial, craniosacral work really came out of the osteopathic world, and um, it was really connected to discoveries that were made around the, around about over, just over 100 years ago now, where there was an osteopath, and he began to realize that the skull, the human skull was, was designed to breathe, that the bones somehow were able to breathe. And through an incredible odyssey, this man who was a very visionary human being called William Sutherland, he spent um, most of his life working with this and refining his ideas. And they call it now the Sutherland Odyssey in, in, in the osteopathic community. And he, he went from this idea of the bones move, moving to you know, what, what is it that makes them move to this idea that the central nervous system coils and uncoils and moves the bones to to this whole idea of that the fluids of the body were this potent medium that actually moves everything else. And this was uh, his later perception. And that later perception 
has led the way to to the to the world of what I'm calling what what is called biodynamic craniosacral therapy, which is much more about the idea that the the, the fluid body or this fluidic body, which doesn't really behave like a fluid, it doesn't behave under the laws of fluid, but it's this kind of embryonic body, if you like, is the body that sort of delivers health, and it's the body that um, comes first and lays down the possibility for the tissue world to organize around it. So, so there's a, it's really the study of what they, nowadays we call this, we call it the study of perception, and it does involve the hands um, as, as a kind of a, you know, there's a, there's, a, there's a whole legacy of hand positions that have come out of osteopathy and other forms of craniosacral and are, are now used in the, in the biodynamic field in a much more perceptual and precise and uh, refined way. So it's, it's basically a, a, a therapeutic modality that works with the hands, but it really is mostly the working with the perception, um, first of all, of the practitioner. Um, so you have to really organize yourself before you can begin to interface with another human being. And for me, it was fascinating how that these osteopaths 100 years ago were, were really um, before the New Age movement, before the 1960s, were, were experimenting with incredibly esoteric, um, way ahead of their time, actually, way, way ahead of their time, talking about fluid fields and talking about um, spirit and the breath of life and, and uh, the, the spirit and the fluids. So for me to have gone through my shamanic experiences and to come around to to be introduced to this to this work, I saw this in a way these refined a history hundred years of perceptual refinement, which was very very exciting. Because how often do we get that opportunity now in the West to actually see that something has been worked with for over a hundred years and and possibly has you know um, you know connected to more ancient practices. But putting that aside for now, just the fact that there was a hundred years of perceptual experience to draw upon that really correlated with my own experience. Um, but it's interesting because you kind of, uh, I find myself in between two worlds often because there's there's a kind of um, osteopathic and, and craniosacral community who are um, maybe get a little nervous about going too much into the shamanic field, and then there's the there's the other side who don't like the idea of 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 how could you know how could these old men in 1900 know about this stuff? It's not possible. Of course they couldn't. They're not shamans. And of course, they weren't shamans. But so it's a really. I find myself always in my life, you know, being in this interesting kind of in-between place where, where I'm drawing. And here you are bringing in the tree. And the the tree. Um, Yes. I just kind of lost Michael. Um, So I'm going to share this um, piece. Um, In Michael's own words, um, we are very fortunate uh, that the world tree lives on in the last few surviving ancient yew trees. These wide elders can still teach us this one simple truth. We have the ability to heal. We have the ability to choose to heal. And we have the ability to choose to heal ourselves and our world. Yeah. So that's so let's talk I'm not quite sure actually which direction to go but <laughs> there's there's, so there's a all right there's a couple main sort of forks in the road here I want to come back around to talk some more about health um as a as in this innate energy and, and partly because I'm really interested in that right now in my own shamanic work as I've been refining my own teachings um, 
and, and working with people over many years, it's really helping people recognize that there are energies in our lives, no matter what our life story is, they have not been changed. They are innate, yes. like you said about health. Absolutely. And that because of that, we really simply need to just go there. <laughs> You know, it's like they don't need to be fixed. They don't need to be healed. They don't, you know, it's like they're there waiting for you to arrive. Exactly. And I think that ties in with what I was saying about the, what I'm calling the elemental organism, this, this, this part of ourselves, which is, which is actually more connected with nature than it is with our individuality. But it's also the place that brings, that is connected most clearly to our health. And it's a very hard concept for people to grasp in a way that, that, that health, that we talk about the innate health is actually not necessarily within the body. It's there's health in the body. But, and, and they say in the biodynamic osteopathic field that, that the health in the body dies at death. But the health that, the, the, the health that we're talking about, health with a capital H, does not die, die at death. It actually transcends that. So there's a, there's a, there's a health which, is, which moves beyond, beyond, beyond death, which really gives us a whole new idea of, the, of, of um, birth and death. It changes those things completely. So, so health as a continuum of some kind, um, um, I think, is a very interesting topic to explore. And I think, I don't know, maybe I just bring this to my own Taoistic practice because I come at it through shamanism. But for me, that these ideas are also echoed in, this, in the idea of a center channel in, in Taoistic practices of Qigong and, yeah. and, the, and the movement and it's so funny because there's all these ideas that come into Taoism that sound like those ideas in um, craniosacral, you know, that, that that those old guys were working with is is the ability to 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 move this energy in this central channel, and then understanding that 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 midline that that place within us that is and isn't was given. It's, exactly, exactly. I mean, it comes up in all the traditions in a way, and I think when we look at Yggdrasil. The, the world tree, and if anybody um, you know has a computer and, and doesn't know the image of Yggdrasil, then just look it up, and you'll see that this incredibly, this cosmic, uh, this tree that, that that is able to 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 its axis moves through the three worlds, and you know when you look at that tree, though you see that there's a great sphere around it, and there's a serpent that circles the the middle world. So it's not just about the midline; it's also about the periphery and what happens on the periphery too. And I think that. I think that without the midline, we, we can't really have the periphery. But the, but the periphery is very important as well. It's this kind of peripheral place. And I think that, that what you were saying again about, you know, we just need to get there. We just need to be able to go to the health. But that requires, and as you know yourself, that requires an incredibly different way of shifting, of our consciousness being shifted and shifting consciousness towards being amenable and available to that and I think one of the things I teach often is that when we try and squeeze ourselves through our nervous systems to get to these places, it's not going to work. I mean, our nervous systems are overwhelmed as it is. So the forces, these kinds of forces, we need to develop the kind of consciousness that can move fluently outside of the nervous system. And that sounds like a pretty you know, interesting thing to say, but to actually begin to embody it is a whole other thing, and it takes a lot of practice, but it's perfectly possible. And that's the, that's the place where that body, that elemental organ, or, or organism, or that body of the, the kind of animal body that, that, that in many ways is partly within us but partly outside of us becomes a very important teacher and is very important shamanically and very important to the, to, to the, um, the perception of health and also the, the delivery of health. So when we can learn to, 
to, to let go of our attachment to outcomes and, and intentions, but actually really be open to be moved by that, by that instinctual intelligence, then we can begin to get somewhere. But if we push through our nervous systems, we push through that central, it's the irony where we have this midline, which is, which is, which is incredibly, at its very core, is eternal. But yet we have this other midline, which is a nervous system midline, and that we can push through that and think we're having a really, really hip experience. But actually all we're doing really is, is really whipping up um, things that we are already kind of decided are going to happen. And we're creating something from our nervous system, almost like we're projecting something out of our nervous system. We need to move beyond it. Now our culture needs it more than any other time in history. It, we need to learn to move beyond our nervous systems to be able to heal the nervous system, but also to be able to, to, to embody more of the health. And the more we do that, the more we actually touch nature. So it's not only that are we working with our own health, we're actually working with the natural world in, in, in a very subtle way. Um, so we can, each one of us can take action to do this um, and, and really develop a practice around it. So I think these are the bigger, the bigger subjects, you know, the bigger pieces. So is this the, the arena where, where you um, would refer to the practices being perhaps druidic practices, largely because what's currently understood as shamanic practices don't really involve what you're talking about? I think they did, and, and I, I think I mean, you're right. they did. They yeah. just don't now. Yeah, I think unfortunately. They, yes, exactly. And, and and you know, I mean, you know, I think the the, 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 the piece just to say before that, I think is you know we have this, you know, we, shamanism changes all the time, as you know, and people are bringing new things to all the time. So always evolving. You know, I think that the the shamanism that we saw, the early shamanism that we saw in the West, is, is just no longer what we need. It's no longer sophisticated enough for us, and I think that. That, that you know that and, and Westerners find it so easy in a sense to to go on a shamanic journey. Um, I think that's fine, but I think it's just the beginning. It's just the beginning. We're just touching the edges when we do that. And and I think what happens is that that gets set up as being more of a an end point rather than just as a beginning point. I mean, certainly, and some of the experiences I've had, you know, where you, where you run shamanic workshops and the people are having amazing experiences, incredible visual sort of perceptual experiences, but they remain unchanged at some deep level. Mm-hmm. And yet there are others, I would, I would always, I would always be drawn to the ones who couldn't do it. You know, I don't know how to do this, but they would be having some visceral response maybe or something else would be mm-hmm. going on. And I always found that, let me take these people away. And, you know, I'm not, you know, it's, I'm not discrediting the other, the others because I think everybody has their own way of approaching the divine. But I think um, that, you know, there's there's a place there that that we need to. Um, um, I'm, I'm, I'm now now I've gone off my own track. Now I forgot what your original question was. <laughs> well, we're just you were just talking about the practices that allow us to connect in um, to a, a more natural or you know sort of animal body animal oh, yeah. way. That's right. And, you talked about the druidic thing. Yeah, because because I, I understand that whole challenge of naming in a sense in a contemporary world where everyone wants you to be able to write it down on a website and tell them when the class is going to be and yeah. <laughs> and you know and do it in english which is a terrible language for this stuff yeah. it doesn't have enough words that's true, that's true. <laughs> and, it's, it's really and it's really really frustrating to try to express uh, because as soon as you write shamanism now people think they know what that means yeah. And and yet they're referring, as you were saying, to this very journey-oriented, which can be very much um, sort of spiritual mental in experience, 
but my my understanding you know i come to it through dance and so it's very much about the physical and the heart and 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 then how what we touch through our mind and our spirit get get brought back down uh into the heart and body and embodied in some way and expressed as you said either in some way that transforms us on a deep level or allows us to bring something to the people somehow yeah, and, and really, I mean, there's, there's, it's interesting, you, you know, you, you, you're really um, speaking really powerfully there about the heart. And I think that, for me, one of the interesting things about the yew tree, um, and I'll, I'll get to the to, to druids in a second, is that the, when you look at the, the, the rune for the yew, which I think we talked about a little bit last time, is the, the rune for the yew is shaped like a kind of, um, like a, I would say Z, but over here they say Z, that kind of um, shape like a kind of, they call it sometimes the pot handle. And it's, it represents a tree that moves upwards and downwards at the same time. But also, I feel that it's really connected to the human being and to the human heart. And the fact that the, the, the heart begins, for us, it begins outside of the body, above our heads. And so we begin this body having two bodies. And I think this is something that I really, really find is a very strong part of my work, is this idea of this, or this reality of having two bodies, this a peripheral body where, the, where things like the blood and the heart begin. And this, the, the heart begins outside of your body, and you have to, in a sense, bring it down into the center, and in a sense, bow down. Your heart has to kind of bow down into your center and kind of become the first center of your of your being, as the blood tends to come up. So the blood's coming up to meet the heart, and the heart's coming down to meet the blood, in a sense. And I think right there is really, uh, in the U rune, is really is really shown in that um, this movement that goes upwards and downwards at the same time. Um, and I think that the I think you're right. I think that there's there's a great um, a great need for for redefining um, some of, some of the kind of shamanic work that, that we're involved in. What is it that we're really doing? What is it we're what is it that we're doing with shamanism? And you know, it's hard to find the language, as you see, to to, to define it. And in my sense was it really that um, in the visions I had under the tree, which lasted for ten years um, and still continued, were um, that I was really perceiving the pre-Celtic druids, the, the very earliest exponents of that and they had a very refined practice it was very sophisticated um and involving a lot of meditation and a lot of stillness practice and a lot of work with animals and with, with nature and i think that um you know obviously we, we we lost a lot of that but i think for me um looking into the into some egyptian imagery you find it sort of showing up again um in some of that and um there's a lot of there's a lot of um, sophisticated embryological practices that you see in, in Egyptian uh, imagery. And my sense was that, um, you know, when I was, when I was uh, very strongly involved with, with the yew tree, there was a lot of, bizarrely, and I think I mentioned this to you before, a lot of the imagery seemed Egyptian to me, which was very strange being under this tree in Scotland. Um, and, you know, I think there's a whole other story there that I wouldn't, I wouldn't go into now about the migrations of, of, of knowledge and culture and how the Druids maybe did travel and did move and were involved in, in, in Egypt and places like that. And certainly Ralph Ellis and people like that have talked about this, and he's even said that the yew tree, is, it was the Egyptian tree of life. And, mm. and the yew shows up in funerary rites, and it shows up um, all kinds of places over there, which, and it was never grown there. So it's really interesting. But this Egyptian thing, when you look at Horus, and you look at images of Horus with a serpent and above his head, and the, the incredible, um, the, what I call the trophoblastic serpent, which part of a lot of these images were embryonic. So they knew things back then. They were very sophisticated and recently I've been having these conversations with an Egyptologist, and I put these questions to him directly. I said, how much did they know? How much did they know about embryology? And he said, they knew everything. 
Mm-hmm. They, knew more, they knew more than we did. I said, are you yeah. sure about that? He said, yes, I'm absolutely sure. They knew so much more than we understand now. You know, So, so I think we're looking at this um, practices that I'm just, I've, over these last few years, I'm just touching these things. I mean, they were so sophisticated that I spend a lot of time really looking at embryology for clues and embodying things and working with my own experiences to try and figure out and get more deeply in, involved in it. And it's, it's, a, it's a lifelong practice, I think, because um, these practices were sort of fine. Now, I'm not suggesting we go backward because we need things that are going to work for us now, um, but that's where the, 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 the embryological piece comes in because we have that in us as, as, a, as a, a reality at every moment. That's, the, that's part of the health. The health is ever-present, so we're always able to... We don't have to go back into the past to figure these things out. We just simply need to go to more towards the health, as you said earlier on, and find the ways of doing that. Um, so let's let's I'm again once again seventeen forks on the road, and which one to take? <laughs> um, <laughs> but as you said, so health health is divinely given, and so so it exists here. And um, in one of the things you wrote, it exists before the development of the human nervous system and prior to the expression of the genes. And this is this is a it, it is a revolutionary idea for a contemporary person who's struggling with illness and and is wondering where they caught it or or how do how do i make it go away <laughs> you know yeah. um but i do actually have a question from a listener and maybe you should just go there and see um so he says that um sorry i have several questions from listeners but i'm sorting uh-huh. through them he says um i have asked and received so many answers about how to heal from from people, but also from spirit. This person is also a shamanic practitioner right. and acted on most of them so far. Mm-hmm. But so far, the physical symptoms are still here. I'm worn out, if not discouraged. Mm-hmm. And I have lost a lot of confidence in the effectiveness, if not the re- reliability of helping spirits, even though they seem to be able to deliver for others when I ask. And... Um, uh, and it's not just me asking and receiving guidance, you know, for himself, um, but many others who have intuitive gifts or are practicing shamans. He says, so what am I missing? You know, after seven plus years, what am I missing? That's a really interesting, really interesting question. So that there's, there's, there's help comes for other people, but there's a quality of the, the symptomatology remaining for himself or herself. Yeah. He has Lyme's. Uh, he has Lyme, Lyme disease. Yeah. That's a that's a very that Lyme is 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 a, is a, is a tricky a tricky one um, to, to 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 deal with. So there's there's that, but I think because it it shows up so much in the nervous system. Um, certainly, I've worked a lot with people people with Lyme, and and there's a way you really it, you really to to be able to work with himself and also possibly with others, but with, with himself is to really find a way of. Of being able to work outside of his nervous system—that's really, really key. And it may be that it may be that uh, there, there's some answers. Possibly, if he wants to email me, I can get into a bigger discussion with him about that. I'm very happy to do that. Um, but it, there, there's, there are ways of using our perception um, to move outside of the of the nervous system and to to practice practice that. It will take some time to do that, but it may be worth um, it may be worth him um, taking up that as a practice um, because mm-hmm. I think when your nervous system is 
when the Lyme has a grip in that way, it's, it's you, really the place to be is outside of that nervous system because you know you're, you're, it's not, you're not going to probably be able to find the healing by, by working from within that. And it may be that within a shamanism, um, he may, may need to look at ways of, of, of organizing his perception outside of the, his nervous system when he's actually shamanizing. Mm-hmm. Um, and of course, that's easy for me to say that like this on the phone. Um, we'd have to probably, um, certainly I could sort of, you know, um, give him a little few more pointers about that if you'd like right, to tell me. Right, right. Well, I think that part of it, though, is in this ability for us, and certainly with shamanic techniques, you have, you know, um, enhanced possibility of being able to actually do it. But mm-hmm. to be able to touch, um, well, what I've called when I'm teaching non-human energies. Yeah. Energies that are are existed before humans and will exist after, and yet, as part of the the big universe, they are within us as well. And and yeah. and to not anthropomorphize them, to not psycholo- psychologize them, you know, to not bring them into um, and trap them in our stories. Exactly. But to be with them in their non-humanness and let that resonate um with with its truth in our own bodies our own life experience our own whatever and and kind of let that destroy the stories yes i i i could i think that's a very good way of putting it i think it's a beautiful way of putting it and i think that the the the, the issue that you've probably seen and i've seen is that when you try and approach that non-human intelligence through through the human intelligence and through the kind of nervous system and the senses that want to grasp and that want to understand, you're likely to, to, to scare it away, to push it away from you, or to compress it, or as you say, to distort the story. Um, and I think that that's, that's why, in a sense, that we, we, there, are, there are practices that we need to, to, to work with, in a sense, that, that allow us to, 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 be, to be moved by it, mm-hmm. so that, so that we, are, we, are, we are actually not just this kind of, not even just at the level of witness, Sort of going, okay, now I've got myself into this kind of witness consciousness place, and now I'm kind of seeing what's going. I'm not really in the way, but we have to get even deeper than that. We have to mm-hmm. be able to be shifted by it. So it's the intelligent one. It's the one doing the healing. It's the one who's eternal. It's that part of us which is eternal. It's that part of us connected to nature and to the non-human. And and so I think that and it was a, there was a, there was a beautiful thing that, that that really made a lot of sense to me when when you talk we talk about. You know, when I'm teaching cranial, for example, or teaching, even in a sense, teaching shamanism, but particularly teaching cranial, where people get very self-conscious about falling asleep as a practitioner, they're kind of, oh my God, you know, it's the cardinal sin. And, and, you know, this has been reinforced not just by me, but by many people in the biodynamic community. And I think this is a great gift, is that is that we need to, the divine puts you to sleep in order to give you the consciousness you need with which to approach it. So, so, and this comes, this, this is amazing to me that this comes out of the osteopathic and the biodynamic field, and it speaks so strongly to the, to the shamanic consciousness, you know, that, that in many ways we get, we get sort of, we get hypnotized by this, by the, if we allow it to, it sort of puts us to sleep so that we're not in the way, and it gives us the consciousness with which to make, to take that next step towards it, but it's pulling us there, it's, 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 it's inviting us, it's not us and our will and our ego driving the picture, you know, driving the bus, you know. Um, so I think there's a quality of, 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 of almost this place of, of being able to, 
go into this early REM state, which we're very used to, and most people involved in shamanism are very used to, but it's what you do within that and how you wake up within it and what you do within it, which is really, really important. And and um, so there's a lot to be learned from 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 the from these old old doctors and these old <laughs> in the biodynamic uh, world who've actually been you know as I say I've been I've been working with this perceptually for over a hundred years and working with thousands and thousands of people to do to doing this and yet there it is it's such a it's such a beautiful um, complement to the shamanic work so I think that that's a piece that um, that you probably recognise in a sense that sort of being drawn into this other it's almost like a sleepy state, but actually you're moving into a, an early REM state. Mm-hmm. You know, and, uh, so, Michael, is there a, um, a really sort of the first step, most basic practice that, that, that you could share that would help that people could – I mean, is that possible and responsible over the, over the radio? <laughs> <laughs> Well, it's kind of like the, telling people, don't listen to the drumming CD in the car. You know, maybe not, but... <laughs> I know, I know. It's, well, I mean, I, I, I have... I mean, certainly what was shown to me under the U, which was really a peripheral, most of that was a kind of peripheral consciousness. I mean, most of the, what came to me came to me from... I mean, outside, there was a sort of outside quality to that, which was something like I really felt myself being taken out into that elemental outside and, and, and sort of restructured, remade, like my body was just destroyed in the middle. But, but as, I, as I've kind of been able to kind of bring myself, um, you know, and, and restructure myself and be able to be much more um, present in, in, in life, I've been, I've been finding that working uh, and centering myself in various places is, is, is really important. And one of the places I like to work with, and this is this, this is certainly not um, particularly in a way some, in a way original because you can see this uh, as I started to look into it. You can see this in um, in sort of uh, the, the the occult traditions and, and alchemy and things like that. And Manly P. Hall talks about it a little bit as well as this the idea of being able to go into your third ventricle and use that as a as a place to kind of to, to center yourself from. And that's essentially essentially in the middle of your head. So that I call it seeing behind seeing, and there's a way of of working. I'm not going to go through it on, on the phone. I think it would be too too difficult to do that. Um, but as a way of just moving behind your moving behind one seeing, so letting go of that outwardly directed sense and just sitting for a while behind the eyes, sitting for a while behind the seeing, and just letting um, becoming comfortable with sitting behind the seeing. And you probably people have seen the old pictures of Buddha and what have you with the eyes looking like they're kind of cross-eyed and looking inward. Well, there's sometimes a, a thing you can do with your eyes. You can kind of torque your eyes backward and, and upward as though you're looking, trying to look inside your head. But you only do that for a few seconds. And that just starts to kind of engage a motion backward into the third ventricle. It's like you're, you're, you're initiating a kind of magnetic pull back there. So there's a kind of quality of moving from behind the seeing there's a stillness back there, which is a really beautiful, restful stillness behind that seeing when you let go of that outward vision. And then just allowing yourself to be drawn back a little, a little more, a little more, a little more into that central part of your head, which is really this fluid space, which is a very, very, very mysterious place in the head. It's, it's this really powerful, powerful center. But it's oriented by stillness. It's absolutely oriented by stillness. Embryologically, it's at the top of your nervous system. 
So when you can, if you can get in there and sit in the stillness in there, be invited in there, you can slow your nervous system right down, and you can really, really begin to 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 um, have access to much, much more of uh, a slow tempo in yourself and be able to move a little further, a little bit more effortlessly into the into the non-human realms. And it's a beautiful thing to do. Um, so I would say for people is to is to, is to sit quietly. Going behind the seeing, let yourself rest for there for a while, and then just let yourself be drawn into this place. And it's a place of stillness. It's not a place of activity. It's not a place of thought. And just practice that for 15, 20 minutes at a time. And uh, if you can get in there successfully and you can be invited in, you'll find yourself being very, very calm and you'll be able to slow your nervous system down. And it will also connect you with the horizon. There's another part to that because that part of us is oriented also to to the to the horizon all around us. So you might find that you're you're simultaneously expanded but also completely centered. It's, it's a beautiful experience, in fact. Thank you. And it, what's interesting is I was listening to you, even though you weren't going to take us through it. <laughs> <laughs> I could feel everything slowing down. Yes. Yes. And and that is a piece we didn't expressly talk about it but it's in all of your writings about how these in a simple in grossly oversimplified way if we're going to connect with these energies of nature we have to slow down to that pace that rhythm and find that and not be at the at the hyperdrive speed of our sugar and caffeine induced nervous system exactly exactly <laughs> it really is really true and i mean and there's there's you know there's with, with practice the tempo of our consciousness can can slow down, and actually, what happens is you become your consciousness becomes changed, it becomes altered, um, and you actually begin to see the world differently. And it's really quite a, an, an amazing experience. And that there's, there's a certain quality of being of that of being divinely given, and it opens up the whole question, which is well discussed. It's not just me saying this; it opens up this question of this consciousness that we have right now, that we're perceiving, we're having on this on, on this um, phone conversation that. Uh, many people who are listening and the people around us, it may actually be a distortion of consciousness. An actual fact that the consciousness with which we are, there may have been, um, when you talked at the beginning of this, this consciousness that we may that may have had more access to a long, long time ago, was much, much slower and much more in connection with the, nat- the rhythms of the natural world. And that sounds kind of obvious thing to say, but when we start to think of, wow, this consciousness may be a distortion that we're actually inhabiting just now, and yet we see it as being normal and being and being the normal state of affairs, where actually, in fact, there are other layers of consciousness that we can access. Uh, and, um, you know, we've done, there, there have been studies done on this where, where certainly perceptually and certainly even studies that have been carried out scientifically where where they've, they've managed to measure what they call the CRI, the cranial rhythmic impulse, which is actually quite a relatively fast and very, very unstable rate, which most of us are, are in most of the time. But they really can't really record so much these, these slower rates, but the slow rates are perceptible, and they, everything slows down, and the gaps between your thoughts start to slow down. So you start to get these enormous gaps, and your consciousness begins to shift. It's not filled up so much. And, um, and you know, there's been certain biodynamic osteopaths who've taken clients out into nature and worked with them out there and have seen the rate, have felt the rate drop to incredibly slow rates of breathing consciousness that are incredibly connected to the, the, the tempo of the natural world. 
So, so this is this. All of these these things are have been perceived. They are there to be perceived. So it's very hopeful. It's very hopeful. And it seems to me there's also a parallel in shamanism. I know. Um, that I've experienced where I don't find that it is true that every single helping spirit will come to you in whatever state of being you're in, but that there are, there is consciousness out there that you have to arrive in at the right sort of rhythm yourself to be able to relate to that. It won't come to you. It won't come to us in our human state, but we have to be willing to shift into a compatible state to connect to it. Exactly. Exactly. That's exactly right. And it's a, it's a sequential thing. I think that a lot of, a lot of the time we, we don't recognize that there are certain sequences that if we, if we, if we work with that first, our, we'll be much more, um, it'll be much more possible for us to be, to be drawn into these other worlds where, where we can actually work directly with spirits um, and on other planes, as Daniel Andreev says, the very material planes. And we're able to do that. We're able to move into it. But you're right. It's, I see it as a sequential thing. And um, again, not alone in this. Um, there's plenty of writing about this, the idea of, of, of shifting the sequence of how we approach the divine. Mm-hmm. And I think for, for shamanic practitioners and, and shaman, shamans and people in, in, involved in this, they're, they're re- we, re- we, really, um, we really can shift the sequence and have our results can be much more profound, I think. Um, definitely. And you're right that certainly spirits will not come to us unless, unless we, we're actually able to, to, to get to these places in ourselves where we're actually ready to be, to be moved by spirit. And part of what we need to understand as practitioners is that these practices were part of ancient shamanism. Yes. It wasn't just lie down and learn how to journey, but that these practices were part of your lifelong um, journey with spirit and consciousness and everything to keep, you know, to to continue on that sequence. <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, yeah. and, I, and I think now we're facing the challenges that where, you know, where they're, you know, they're, they're really they had a different tempo of consciousness to begin with. I think it was much, much more, mm-hmm. um, and much, much slower and more connected. And more participation, what it was a mystique. You know, there was much more of a mystical participation with nature, and um, so now we have a, a little bit more of an added challenge. Um, but people like again, Joseph Bernstein is a Jungian um, psychologist. I think he works in New York City. He's, he's talked a lot about how the Western ego has become over-specialized, and I think that's a, a really wonderful way of describing it. That since the time of uh, of Genesis, where there was the edict to take control of nature, the birds and the Sky and the fish in the sea, and and make well, nature. Well, wasn't work. that a bad idea? Yeah, exactly. And that's created an over-specialization <laughs> of consciousness. That so we actually, and, and we all know that when over when a species becomes over-specialized, it becomes endangered. So so there's a, there's a sense of this over-specialization of the ego. But he has talked about, and I believe, and you you'll have seen this too in your practice, that there's new what he calls new psychic structures emerging that are are, are what I think he calls them. Um, what does he call them? Um, either boundary consciousness or something like that where where there are people actually are coming forward who are having a whole new experience with nature which at first is pathologized and we all know what that feels like i've <laughs> been <laughs> gone through you know as, as you you would yourself know it's shamanic consciousness I and mean, i had my my experiences pathologized no end at the, in the hospitals when i was sick and, and trying to speak to people about what was going on for me but i think there are there are new sort of people at this forefront of, of uh, a new psychic consciousness that's trying to imagine it's a survival strategy 
I think that the human species is, is, is trying to create these new structures of consciousness with which to be able to get back in touch with the natural world. So I think whatever we can do to support that shamanically and to support that in our, in our healing practices is really, is really a vital time to be doing that. So as we, we have to close here, actually, but as we do, how, how, like how, what would be the fundamental way, like an everyday average person who's, who's well, not average because they're listening to the show. Okay, so they're not quite average. But anyway, you know, they've got serious health problems manifest presently. And, and we've brought in this idea of health being innate. How would they move towards that? Like, like today, is there something they could do just today to begin to move their, the way they're thinking about it? The way, uh, something. Is there something they could take from today's show to begin to move towards health? I think hard as it is, um, and, and, you know, I know myself having been extremely ill and not knowing what was going on and feeling very contracted and compressed, is to, is, is to just is to try and, and allow yourself to trust that, you're, that there, there are these forces of health. They do exist outside of you. They're the forces that made you. They brought you into, in, into, this, into this body. They, they incarnated you. And they also can deliver your health. Um, and to know as well that the, the, the health is always there, um, it's not, it doesn't go anywhere. It's always there. Um, now, people think I'm, can sometimes be frustrated with that, but that can become a companion in a sense. It's, there's, there's, it's always there. It's also in a sense to trust that there's, there's, when you're feeling that you're most compressed and you're most constricted, that, that there is that organism or that, that part of you which is connected to nature, which is there. It is, it is actually there. It's there. Um, and, you know, it may be that you need some support to help yourself to get there and to, 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 to cross that bridge, but it, but it, it is actually there. Um, and um, stillness practices can, can really help to, to work with that. It's a very difficult thing because when, when people are feeling alone and, and scared, it's, it's hard to, to be able to come out of that compressed place and actually trust that there is something else out there because it involves a certain amount of opening up. Mm-hmm. But, it, but, it, but, it, but it is there. Um, and um, I think that they're all, and then looking around and seeing, seeing if you can find the, the, the people who actually are sharing that kind of idea and somebody who can support you and, and being able to, to take the steps towards that, towards um, re- reestablishing that, more of that relationship. Okay, we really, really have to close now. Michael, thank you so much for being with us here today and sharing this, um, sharing your work, your life. Well, thank you so much, Christina, for inviting me back on. It's been a real pleasure talking with you. It's lovely. So, everybody, you can find um, Michael um, at youshamanism.com and the Sacred You Institute, which is Michael's Michael founded um, as an educational body in which to explore and teach these things that he is talking about. Um, so I'd like to give thanks to Michael, to the U-Tree, <laughs> Deep thanks to the U-Tree. Yes. Um, to our ancestors all the way back to the elements, to the earth below and the sky above, and to the heart that unites us all. Everyone have a great week, and may you touch health. It's with you. You're listening to the Co-Creator Network. When you change the way you look at things, the things you look at change. 
Now I've been happy lately Thinking about the good things to come And I believe it could be Something good has begun Oh, I've been smiling lately Dreaming about the world at one And I believe it could be Someday it's going to come 